cricket Dreaming about a premiership cup We love our clubs but they never win Two flags in 100 years That shit house if you think we'll be insightful Clever or just well researched to say that's not the case We'll just go out and wing it We are two guys, one cup It is Wednesday, the 5th of August Welcome to Two Guys, One Cup, an AFL podcast My name is Will Anderson And my name is Charlie Clawson And how are you holding up, Will, during the Festival de Football? Uh, I took a week off the Festival de Football I don't think I watched any football at all Me too, it- you take it for granted, right? It's it's like it's on all the time. It's like, what do I need to watch? There's always football on. It'll always be here. Nothing will ever change. Did you watch any football in the last week? Uh, I, well, I watched the Saints game. Um, that was it, but I didn't watch it live. I actually sort of took my time. Once I saw the result, I was like, oh, there's no rush to watch this. And then I maybe watched some highlights on AFL.com. Um, looked at some Instagram posts from uh, AFL.com. Caused a lot of trouble, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> When you just retweet someone's Instagram. Okay, so I, I am across this story because literally in a world where I could be watching football every night of the week, I have instead watched football none of the nights of those weeks because we've already spoken about this. It's the idea of isolation. Mm. And I'm here in isolation with Amy, who is somebody who does not, um, you know, like watching games. Care for football. Does not care for <laughs> AFL football. And so traditionally I get oh, to man. watch football when she's... Um, you know, doing something else. And the last week, you know, she hasn't been doing something else. So in, I think when the Bulldogs were playing Port the other night, I kept getting messages from my mates because apparently the dogs were playing quite well early on. So I was getting positive messages from my friends mm. while I was watching uh, a season of uh, UK Gogglebox from 2017. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the year that you guys seem to be having, and I know this from 10 years of experience, but... You can go a week without paying much attention to football. You're not excited about it. Like you've come off two disappointing losses and it's like, I can understand why it it would be harder for you to stay away from football than for me to stay away. I mean, I came into the season not listening to any of the podcasts, doing, you know, very muted hopes, but now I just can't get enough. I didn't realize how much I'd missed seeing my team win games of football until they actually started winning games of football again. Does it disappoint you? That in a season where St Kilda are playing so well, that it's probably just going to be a Richmond West Coast Grand Final. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny. I'm in a, one of the. I'm in a WhatsApp group uh, where we do footy tips just between us, and I think the last four weeks, no one has tipped Richmond, and there's one Richmond supporter in the group. He's like. You guys are fucking idiots. <laughs> like, who do you think we are? Let's stop tipping against us. We're going to win another flag. And it's like, I didn't really buy into it until I watched them last night. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I mean, this is their, this is not even their top flight full complement of players. This is their, they're this, I think they're the youngest team to play last week. And it's probably the second youngest this, this round. And they look amazing. Well, they're like, we've been treating Richmond like they're a villain in a horror movie. We haven't been going over to check that they were dead. We haven't been going over and stomping our boot tap. on their face and double tapping them. <laughs> yeah, we've just been going, nah, we reckon they're dead. I'm sure they won't come back to haunt us later. And we did the same thing with West Coast. Like, I'd written West Coast off. We made fun of them, at, you know, when this show started this year because, we're like, they're just not trying. They seem disinterested. And then, I mean, I have to admit, though, like, West Coast being good again on the back of JJK 
just warms my heart. You know, we've always loved JJK and he's had a really sort of slow start to the year. And since the little Frenchman left, you know, I feel like he lost his little buddy. Maybe he's a bit sad. But now I feel like JJK couldn't run without himself. his teaser pony. You know, exactly. like one of those great racehorses. You're big on the, the teaser was... ponies in the AFL, aren't you? In your mind, the Ford Pocket, their primary job is to be a teaser pony. Just be mates with the full Ford. That's what, that's I think what you it think is. they do. I think your full Ford's always better if he's got a little teaser pony in the in the Ford Pocket. I think they should actually call Ford Pocket now because no one's playing in the Ford Pocket anymore. They should call that position teaser pony. They should rename the positions. That's the problem in the game. Or is it teaser pony or is it like that Warner Brothers cartoon where you've got the big dog and the little dog? Like the big dog just stomps around the little ones. Because that's what a Ford Pocket's like. They're pests. They're all scrappy and yappy and just buzzing around the feet of the big dog. Yeah, that's what, exactly what they're meant to be like. That's the personality you want in your Ford Pocket. A little bloody yappy dog. Yeah, and so I guess Rioli has been, is out. And Liam Ryan, does he really, he doesn't really play Ford Pocket. He's more of a, like a wingman, isn't he? Or is he Ford Pocket? Yeah, I mean, Liam Ryan's flying for big marks and kicking big goals and stuff. He plays more like a big dog. He's like a medium-sized dog that thinks he's a big dog. So you reckon JJK has just missed his little mate. That's probably what happened in 2019. He just didn't have his little mate running around. Took him a year and a half to adjust to not having his little little buddy. Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's he's. It's like the final season of Monty Python without John Cleese. He just just didn't feel the same. He looked good though, and he was doing like Josh Kennedy things, like just big goals from you know out in the fifty meter arc and crashing packs. And then, I mean, Nick Natanui. I don't want to go on about it because every podcast is talking about how good he is. But that one tap he did to Josh Kennedy in the forward pocket to give them the lead. Did you see that? Oh, hang on, I'm talking about football, and you said you haven't watched any. Do you know what I'm talking about? I have heard about this, as you said. It was being oh. mentioned at. Uh, nauseam over the the po- football podcast and how good form Nick Nat is in. And I mean, look, we've been robbed of seeing one of the absolutely unique players in the AFL for a very long time. And it's so great that he's managing to, like, you know, play such consistent football now. Yeah. Well, he does this one just soft tap to JJK, who roves it perfectly from the top of the goal square. And it's like, I can get behind this. Like, I like both Richmond and West Coast. If that's where we're headed, I think that's a, a matchup I'd like to see. Because I, at this stage, I don't, I don't know who would win that game. I think it's a fairly close call, right? Yeah, and they are two of the absolute powerhouse clubs of the last, say, three, four, five years, right? To actually yeah. see them on grand final day together would be an absolute spectacle. Particularly if, imagine if it's Richmond. Imagine if they end up playing it in Western Australia at Optus and there's 60,000 West Coast Eagles fans there up against you know, the reigning premiers. I think that would be an amazing grand final. Is this analogy correct? I'm not sure if it is. I'm just mulling it over my head. But you know, in the Attitude Era of the WWE, it was kind of primarily off the back of Stone Cold and The Rock. And I think they did maybe two or three WrestleManias together where, you know, they were the two biggest stars. Are Richmond or West Coast like The Rock and and, and Steve Austin? Can you make a comparison there? Because you'd suggest one would need to be like a more blue collar than the other, but I don't know that either of those teams are blue collar. It's almost like two rocks fighting each other. I mean, I think they both have a bit of blue collar. I mean, the Dustin Martin sort of... Oh, yeah. He is more stone cold. Right. He's more relatable, more the sort of guy who might have seen some, you know, prison time, might know some guys who can fuck you up. I mean, he knows Jake King. Like, Dustin Martin knows Jake King, so I think that (laughs) makes them... A little bit more streets. Right. So they're stone cold, which makes the Eagles the rock, which is just like uh, blue chippers, strutting, cocky, tanned. 
Very tanned. That <laughs> makes sense. And they play Eagle Rock at their games. It's right there. It was right in front of us the whole time. I didn't see any other football. Well, I didn't see any football, though. So you saw, saw the St Kilda game. What, what else happened in the round? Was there anything else? You mentioned the Cochin uh, thing. Uh, Brooke Cochin got fined. Well, Brooke and Trent Cochin got fined for the AFL. Uh, she went to a beauty salon. And now this is the thing, Charlie. I don't... Look, the whole issue around it, I don't really you know, care too much about. But here's what I do care about because it's relevant to the interests of this podcast. Remember that final that the Tigers lost because Trent Cochin got too fancy a haircut? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the influence. Like, I'm not here to you know, certainly blame his partner, but she's clearly a more upmarket operator than Trent. She's the sort of person, she's an influencer. And she, for a little mm. while, Trent wanted to be an influencer as well. He got sucked into an influencer world. And this is the problem with Trent Cochin. He's not an influencer guy. He's got to let her do her own thing, but he cannot be sucked into that world because it's nothing but trouble for him. Well, he has had a haircut. So you haven't seen any footy in the last week. He's got a different haircut. It's not his just cuts, sort of buzz top, buzz cut flat top. It's not dissimilar, but it's definitely trendier. So I think it's it's already too late. Here's my question. So yeah. obviously the AFL players are in incredible lockdown hubs. Most of them away mm. from home. So firstly, for a start, you've got like, you know, probably 10 to 14 teams that are away from their traditional hairdressers. <laughs> right? <laughs> that was not where I thought you were going, but I'm on board. Continue. <laughs> so... We haven't really taken this into account, have we? That so many of the players in the AFL who have pride in their appearance who have a certain sort of look would have that certain sort of look maintained by a specialist in their local area. But yeah, we're living in true. COVID Good times. Point. You can't just be going up to Queensland and yeah. popping out to the local just cuts on the Gold Coast and getting your hair cut. That's against the rules, surely. So here is my question, Charlie, and this is right in our hitting zone. Perfect. During the period of lockdown... How are AFL players maintaining their hairdos? Do the hubs have their own specialist barbers? Are teams bringing in barbers? Are players cutting each other's hair? What is going on with hair maintenance in the league at the moment? Well, I think in the discussion about Nathan Buckley in this tennis match, apparently the confusion around that is it's not against the rules to play tennis, but it's the timing of when you play the game in relation to when you play the football game and all this kind of stuff. But that's apparently where they got confused. So I think... People are coming into the hubs and with certain kind of like timings and stuff. So I don't think it'd be out of the question. If you're in a, a, pay, a, a state that hasn't recorded a new case in a while, that you could bring a temperature tested hairdresser. But when you've got how many guys would be at a hub? Like not the entire list, but maybe like 30 guys would be there. Are you cutting all their hair? 30. Let's say you've got 30 on your list. This, and this is just your playing list. This is not even taking into account Coaches staff and support, and support staff. staff. Yeah. You've the just got to stutter. say to the Who's cutting the boot stutter's hair, I'm, Will? I'm, so, I'm sorry, mate, but you're going to have to cut your own hair for the three months that we're in lockdown. Cut your hair with some you bloody boot get studs, Martin's mate. barber down to you as well. Boot stutter. So all the boot stutters have got to look like, you know, Grizzly Adams for the period of time of the lockdown. But the players need to maintain their Friday night lights. I mean, they're playing on Broadway every night. You know, this is night football. This is televised football. The players have got to look their best. So are you getting one hairdresser in who then just does the whole team or will you be able to get specialist hairdressers in? How does that work? Well, I think, all right, for someone, let's look at, take a specialist haircut like uh, Dustin Martin, 
famous mohawk, right? Now, do you think Dusty goes to a barber to get that done or does he just have one of his mates do it? I mean, in prison, <laughs> like you just get a mate with a pair of clippers and it kind of has that look to it, right? There's not a lot of, it's not a lot of finesse. It's pretty straightforward. Just clip at the sides, follow the line of the mohawk. So are you suggesting that one of Dustin Martin's teammates is cutting Dustin Martin's hair? Yeah. Well, he's mates with Koch. I reckon, I reckon, he's, I reckon Koch is cutting it. And that's probably explains Koch's I reckon hair. The- <laughs> I reckon <laughs> at the Bulldogs. Dustin cut his head and return. I reckon at the Bulldogs, Bevo does it. I reckon Bevo's taken it on board. Oh, he yeah. goes, I cut my own hair. I'm happy to cut everyone in yep. the team's hair as well. And Bevo would do it like Lawrence Fishburne in uh, Boys in the Hood. You know, that scene with him in Cuba Gooding Jr. where it's their moment to bond as like father and son. Like Bevo would like, let me give you a haircut, but then he's going to give you a life lesson as he's clipping around. I think that's why um, uh, Bailey Smith's been playing so well this season. <laughs> you know, it's all those hours in the chair with Bevo. <laughs> For them to be able to bond and impart football wisdom. Well, that same WhatsApp uh, group I'm part of where we do the tips, uh, one of the guys was asking literally today, is this the worst era for AFL haircuts? I love it. I'm into I think this is the. I think it's the opposite. I think this is the best era for <laughs> AFL haircuts because we are seeing a level of experimentation, which I can only imagine now that we've worked out they're probably going to have to cut each other's hair. And you know what people are like in hubs as well, in isolation. We've seen it in our friendship groups. We've seen it with people online. People are prone to make drastic hair choices under these high-pressure environments. Mm. I think we're going to see in the next couple of months some of the greatest haircuts we've ever seen in the history of AFL football. Well, this is where it comes to that big brother type situation. This is where the AFL should be really like hooking up cameras all over these hubs so we can watch when it gets to that kind of crisis point where someone feels like they just have to do something dramatic. I mean, that's going to be, that's great viral video to send around. Like Nick Natanui cutting off the dreads. What a moment that would be. I mean, he cuts them off, but Matthew Nix to try to turn around the Adelaide fortunes (laughs) glues them on. He gets advanced hair, but it's Nick Nat and Nui's old dreadlocks that were just on the ground from Nick Nat just being in for a haircut. Do you reckon the player most suited to the fact that maybe they can't get haircuts as easily as they would be like Cam Guthrie? I mean, Cam Guthrie does not look like he is. A razor blade has been near his epidermis for years. He's got the beard. He's got the long hair. He does not clip or shave or snip. He's been rocking a deep in pandemic look for a very long time. This might be Guthrie's time to shine. I mean, the only problem I would say about Guthrie is it also doesn't look like soap's ever been near his hair. And in these times <laughs> yeah, of heightened virus awareness and having to <laughs> yeah. use so much soap, that might be something that really throws him out. Yeah, he uh, he definitely looks smelly. I mean. It's just the hair thing and, you know, we shouldn't judge people by how they look, but he does look like he smells. In fact, if you have any inside word down at the Cattery about Cam Guthrie's BO, let us know. Well, he also looks slightly like a guy who's just come out of the ocean. Do you know what I mean? Like he might not stink, but I think he definitely smells of the ocean. Like he has a sort he of looks like, fishy smell. He looks like the kind of guy when you go to the fish and chip shop, he comes in after you and he's barefoot. And you're like, oh, man, like, I don't know why this bothers me, but just put some shoes on when you're coming into like an eatery. <laughs> That's Cam Guthrie. <laughs> Cam Guthrie drives without a shirt on. Like he'd put on a pair of jeans and his thongs and go for a drive, but he won't wear a shirt. Cam Guthrie often can't find his sunglasses because his sunglasses are lost in his hair. <laughs> I reckon Cam Guthrie has a dream catcher hanging above his bed. <laughs> Cam Guthrie plays on one of the earlier stages at Byron Bay Blues Fest. 
Kevin Guthrie has seen Michael Ferrante in Spearhead 14 times. <laughs> Cam Guthrie once got an AFL strike on the drugs test, but it was during an ayahuasca ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Um, so you've seen the the dogs lose two games in the space of a week. Haven't well, seen it. I have not heard. seen the dogs. You I've heard right, that so it happened. I've heard rumors. Re- would you have watched the replay if you'd won? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would have. But you yeah. know, I'm in a self care mode. I don't need to watch that. Apparently, the dogs played pretty well. In fact, I looked at the scoring shots, and we had pretty much even scoring shots. So I think we, um, you know, kicked ourselves out of it really badly. Is seems to be the the common wisdom from that game do you are you ever tempted like with this Fremantle game earlier this year i didn't see that live and then only found out after the fact that we'd had this calamitous loss but i did go back and watch the first quarter because i'd heard we'd played so well are you not tempted just to check out that first quarter to say oh this is what we're doing right or is it is that just deluding yourself into a a fairy tale i just i mean i just i just couldn't be bothered there's another game soon they're probably playing tonight I can't keep up anymore. They're probably already playing another game again tonight. So, nah, I'm, well, let's... I'm I'm very happy for this season to play out. I'm very fascinated to see how it plays out. I think the Bulldogs' best chance, best possible chance is for, you know, our usual theory with the Bulldogs is that they play better against teams that are above them on the ladder. If we could sneak into the eight and then make a run at the finals, that is our best chance of doing it this season. But I, it feels to me like there's at least at the moment Six teams that I could name off the top of my head that I think are much better than the Bulldogs. Um, two other teams that are having a disappointing year that you may not have seen much, but you maybe you heard about the scores were uh, Melbourne and Carlton, uh, both absolutely pantsed. In fact, uh, Port Adelaide came off the back of that pantsing to beat the Dogs last night. But uh, we've sort of said this year that we're going to go a bit easier on Melbourne because last year there was a bit of kind of you know there's a bit of joy to be had in how they fucked up a preliminary final appearance the next year. But now, like, they're talking about trading Clayton Oliver, which seems crazy to me. Like, all of a sudden, Clayton Oliver can't kick. <laughs> I don't know when this happened. Two years ago, he was one of their best players. He was, like, a ball magnet. He, you know, would get rank in the brown low. And now, like, now he's terrible. That happened quick. I think that he's never been a great kick. Like, even at his best, he was a player that handballed a lot more than he kicked. But, yeah, he's not in not in great form. But they're, they're not a good team. Like, you know, and what tends to happen with Melbourne is that pe- players will have periods of time where they play really well. And then you'll be like, oh, Angus Brayshaw came third in the Brownlow. And then, like, the next season he plays terribly. Petrarca's kind of been a bit the same. Oliver's a bit the same. Like they have just this incredible level of inconsistency where their players at their best are as good as any in the competition, but they just find it so hard to replicate their best all at the same time. Well, another team just like that at Carlton who lost to Hawthorne after being 30 points up at quarter time. And they're very similar kind of situations where you look at both their lists and you're like, well, they've got good players all over the ground right now. And when they play well, they look amazing, but... I wonder if it's a similar issue at both clubs. Like, well, I guess with uh, Garth from Wainswell, what's his name? <laughs> Coach RT, David Teague, uh, Garth. I reckon with him, you could sort of put it down to the inexperience. But Simon Goodwin came out of that succession kind of program with Paul Ruse, and this is his third year. So I wonder what's going on there. 
like is it is it did they got rid of too many players at once when they got rid of like um uh, Jesse Hogan and and the other dude who's the other dude they got rid of you know that guy well here's my problem with that is that the players that they've got rid of haven't gone on to be playing particularly great at other clubs or particularly yeah. cons- consistently I just it's hard to know with Melbourne. It's like, I, here's what I do know. You're absolutely right that it gives me no joy that they lose anymore. I'm now just like, I don't think it would give me much joy if they started winning, but it no. certainly gives me no joy that they're losing. Yeah, well, well I guess that's the, the, the question I'm trying to dig at is what would make, make you like them? Because you like Max yeah. Gorn, right? Yeah. And Jack Viney. I admirable. do. And Petrarca is yeah, kind of Yeah, I like Max Gorn, but I, my, my love of Max Gorn has wavered a little really? bit. Really? I don't really know why. I can't quite tell why, but maybe just the rest of Melbourne's put me off Max Gorn. I really like Max Gorn individually, but it keeps getting served you know with what, all this shit. You know what I, I kind of think it is that's off-putting about it is that it, it's so uh, predictable. That's what makes it off-putting is you feel like you've heard this story before with Melbourne that they've been thereabouts and just couldn't pull it together. And, you know, they felt like there was a 10-year period after um, Danaher was moved on that they just kind of lost their way and just sort of struggled. And then there was the whole kind of tanking thing. And it's, uh, I defected to Melbourne for two weeks when I was six years old because they were good in the early eighties and my family almost disowned me, but it's maybe a, a smart decision by me because they would have, a demon supporter in my lifetime has had no more joy than a saint supporter. Well, I, I, and I think in some ways a lot more misery for some, for whatever reason, it just feels that like, St Kilda at least have some. They make some, grand finals. Yeah, like but also there's sympathy and... towards St Kilda when they're bad. Whereas I don't think there's that same level of sympathy towards Melbourne mm. when they're bad, and they've been bad a lot. So Melbourne's one of those teams that yeah we kind of are happy when they're successful, but when they're terrible, nobody really feels any sympathy for them. And what about Carlton? Like people were so excited about Carlton two weeks ago. There was so much kind of chat around them, and I mean you didn't see it, but. Uh, I tuned in for the last 10 minutes of the first quarter and the first 10 minutes of the second quarter. And it was crazy how quickly that game turned on its head. It was almost like they completely stopped running. And you don't know, is it young players or the hub life travel? But it was just, they just stopped. It was so strange. And then in my head, I'm like, I can't wait to read the 400 articles this week about how Clarko's a genius. (laughs) Like any... Coach has a comeback game. Yeah, it's good. Clarko has a comeback game. Genius. He's reinvented the comeback. Yeah, like the only way you're allowed to talk about Clarko is how Tony Martin, as Arnold Schwarzenegger, talked about Ivan Reitman in old late show sketches. You just go, <laughs> oh, Alistair Clarkson, yeah. genius. Genius. Well, it was a very uh, backs against the wall kind of performance. They'd been smashed for the last few weeks. And then, you know, they're bringing up sort of Jeff Kennett and. Uh, you know, sort of talking about his contract coming to an end and stuff. And it's like, I, I would be interested to know how much that actually impacts on how Clarko coaches. Like, do you reckon Clarko reads his own press and gets fucking fired up and is like, okay, I'm going to, I don't know, pull a genius move or does he get lucky <laughs> and take credit for it? Um, I think a bit of both, probably. A little bit from column A yeah, and a little I bit from so column too. B. But the great thing is when you have as many premierships as he has and the great level of success then people err on the side of you being a genius. Like when Melbourne all play together well at some stage, nobody calls Simon Goodwin a genius. And it happens occasionally. But 
it's the exception rather than the rule. Whereas Clarko's got a track record of it. So I guess even when he gets lucky, they just, you know, decide that it's genius. So if Dimmer uh, wins another flag this year and maybe in another couple of years snags another one, so he has four and Clarko doesn't win another one, is Clarko the better coach because of the three-peat? That would never happen because Clarko would murder Dimmer. <laughs> Clarko would break Dimmer's knees on the way to the fucking game. That's what would actually happen. Well, who's the... Like, of the modern era, of the last 20 years, who are the best coaches? Clarko, head and shoulders, right? And then would you put Bomber Thompson up there? Two flags for the Cats? John Longmire's got to be in consideration. He's got a pretty good record. Um, I think that Chris Scott's record is amazing. I know he doesn't have the, the same amount of premierships, but if Geelong could snag another premiership like with their finals record and their percentage of games they've won i think he's pretty imposing in the modern era as a coach what about mark neald i mean he'd be up there (laughs) (laughs) he'd be up there there handing out the award for (laughs) (laughs) for the best coach of the last century we've decided to get it awarded by the worst coach of the last century I feel terrible for saying that. I, I wish my, I, no ill will towards Mark Neal. It's just a, I heard a stat about um, uh, uh, Matthew Nix that he's hasn't won his first nine games. If he doesn't win um, next week, uh, he it's the new record for the most losses in a row for a new coach. Because I think Mark Neal was the last one who went nine, but then he won his tenth. So he wants to equal Mark Neal to Matthew Nix this weekend. Who have they got? That would be amazing for Mark Neal too. Mark Neal's got skin in the game on this, hasn't he? Mark Neal must yeah. be studying the draw right now, thinking, I could get this monkey off my back. I just need bloody Knicks to lose a couple more games. And there's good times for old Neildy. Well, you know who they're playing right now. The Demons. <laughs> I mean, if Matthew Nix is about to get out of the bunker he's in, it's going to be against the Demons, right? If you are Simon Goodwin, do you consider... Telling the players to do it for Neildy. <laughs> come on, come on, guys. We can't have Neildy being the worst coach in history. Um, last week when we were talking about who is Matthew Nix and discovered he was a Sydney Swans player, I made a joke um, that uh, Adam Spencer crashed his car listening to it. Um, I did get a phone call from Adam Spencer in his car, <laughs> listening to two guys <laughs> one cup at that very moment. He gave me a quick history lesson on who Matthew Nix was. Retired in 2004, played in the 96 grand final, uh, half forward, 170 odd games. Yeah, that's what we read off the Wikipedia as well, but still doesn't mean I remember him. <laughs> now, well, let's get to some mail because yes. uh, we've had so much great uh cunt fiction or five hundred fiction sent in i thought we could read a couple today um someone's even expanded on the uh, cunt universe to include a few other players as well great but it's exciting stuff and uh if you want to uh, get in touch with us the best way to do that is to go to our brand new website tofop.com uh tofop is the podcast network that we have tofop is also another podcast we do so if you like this uh podcast but you don't you want less football talk then you can head over to tofop.com and while you're there you can send us a message down the bottom of the landing page is a little contact form you just drag two guys one cup from the drag down menu and send us a message and we'll read it out on air like this one from this is from nicholas Hey guys, this is my take on the Ben Cunnington Nat Fife fan fiction. 
Nat Fife is actually from a country town in WA called Lake Grace. And I think he still drives trucks and stuff for his dad. So I was thinking that a twist in the buddy cop format could do, go more along the lines of Crocodile Dundee. So Nat Fife is flying his helicopter through the Australian outback, carrying an emergency delivery of designer white, loose, deep V-neck t-shirts to needy children in Melbourne. On his way, his helicopter breaks down and he lands at a remote station owned by Ben Cunnington. Hilarity ensues as Ben helps Nat rediscover his country roots while trying to fix his helicopter, namely Nat calling Ben every other name but Ben. So I love this. It's a fish out of water. It's almost got a romantic comedy kind of set up, like the city boy and the uh, and the, and the country bloke, you know, uh, uh, opposites attract sort of thing. Yeah, the, the original odd couple. I, I feel like we've always thought that that's exactly what they are. This is your classic team up of a, you know, it, a you slick know, city boy yeah. and a and a rough and tumble country boy. But they're going to discover that they have more in common with each other by the end <laughs> than they have that uh, that tears them apart. They forge a tentative friendship, and once the helicopter is fixed, Nat invites Ben to help him deliver the T-shirts to the needy in the big smoke. So now we flip the fish out of water on its head. We started in the country, so Crocodile Dundee style, we're now going to New York. Well, Melbourne. <clears throat> once in Melbourne, Nat introduces Ben to the finer things in life. I love it. I'm seeing where they're out at like a fancy French restaurant and there's a lobster and Ben's like, you know, uh, mate, I'm not going to eat something out of a fish tank and then just like you see him walk off the pier and dive into the water and come up with like a lobster (laughs) in his mouth. And that's all embarrassed. Ben, we don't do that around here. Or maybe he just dives into the tank at the restaurant. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And I can imagine... I, I, I like to imagine the scene of Nat Fife having to take Ben Cunnington shopping pretty woman style. <laughs> you know, yeah, ben, so ben, ben, ben's, ben, Ben's down the fancy end of Melbourne, the Collins Street end of Melbourne, the Paris Street end of Melbourne, and he's trying to go into one of those, uh, yeah. you know, fancy stores and the snooty yeah. person there won't let someone who looks like Ben Cunnington <laughs> into the shop because he doesn't think he belongs there. We need a montage too. The first montage is they go into a fancy building that has a revolving door and Ben doesn't know how to use it. You see him get like trapped in the revolving door. And then we need a change room montage where it's Nat sitting out there and then like Ben keeps coming out from the curtain. He's wearing different outfits and Nat's just like shaking his head. Um, Okay. (laughs) Uh, Once in Melbourne, Nat introduces Ben to the finer things in life and discourages him from fishing in the water Water features at the Botanic Garden. <laughs> On arrival at the home of the needy children, Ben and Nat realise the kids have no idea how to correctly wear or accessorise designer white loose-fitting deep V-neck t-shirts. Using his skills rediscovered in the bush, Nat constructs a runway from bits and pieces found around the house and Ben struts his stuff down the runway. The kids are amazed and now able to wear the shirts and Nat and Ben have a Maverick Iceman final scene, Top Gun style embrace. (laughs) I love it. I mean, it is, there is a subtext of a romantic comedy and that's what I love. That's the first one we've had that's been like the genre romantic comedy. I'm into it. Um, Okay. Uh, So this is another bit of fan fiction, but this this, uh, guy, this is from Steve. He's expanded on the uh, the, the comfortverse. Is that what we're, the comfortverse? Or would it be the Cunniverse? Uh, the N- kind of five. How about the uh, NCU? NC- the, NCU? The Nat Cunnington Universe. <laughs> I love it. NCU. Hey, fellas. Love the podcast. As a fellow sainter, 
It's nice to hear Charlie, who is generally mirroring my feelings of abject despair through to occasional cautious optimism about uh, the week's football. I also really enjoy the fan fiction people have sent in, so I thought I'd give it a go. I hope you enjoy. Um, okay, sorry, I should also read. The subject line is fan fiction featuring Ben Cunnington, Nick Revolt, Reese Stanley, and others. So it's a bloody who's who Great. of TOEFOP favourites. In search of the, the title of the piece is called... <laughs> in, in, in Search of the Ten Foot Fin Boys... Patrick Dangerfield smirked to himself. And this, Nicholas, uh, Steve can clearly write. Patrick Dangerfield smirked to himself. His teammate, Reese Stanley, shifted uncomfortably in the passenger seat. I'll, I'll do their voices. Danger, what's so funny? He asked timidly. You've been giggling and smirking the whole drive. Oh, nothing. Just thinking about something funny. Joel did it training the other day. <laughs> I didn't see him do anything funny, Reese replied, puzzled. Yeah, I was in the leadership group meeting. It was in the leadership group meeting. Danger shot back, frowning. Yeah, it was in the leadership group meeting. Danger shot back, frowning. Oh, sorry. Stanley replied, looking down at his hands. Despite this, Stanley was excited to be in the car with Danger. The Brownland medalist had barely said a word to him in the four years they'd been teammates, <laughs> except to berate him for being a stupid, gangly, idiot giraffe <laughs> and similar insults. <laughs> Often he'd just communicate by shaking his head and looking at him scornfully while strutting past him at training. But Stanley thought maybe a couple of solid contributions this season had finally earned the renowned midfielder's respect. And when an invite to come fishing in Moreton Bay on a hub day off was offered, he jumped at the chance. They arrived at a pierside car park to the site of Ben Cunnington walking towards them, holding at least a, at least 12 fishing rods. He's also carrying a backpack and two more bags, one slung over each shoulder, all containing fishing gear. Dangerfield and Cunnington had been regular fishing buddies for years, often talking wistfully about running away from the pressures of AFL to live in a tent together in the Northern Territory, catching Barramundi. Dangerfield greets Cunnington warmly and the two embrace. Cunnington looks puzzled when he sees Stanley emerge from the passenger seat. G'day, mate. Oh, sorry, hang on. This is Cunno. G'day, mate. Yeah, he says warily, I'm Ben. Oh, uh, yeah. Hi, I'm a big fan of your midfield work. We, we actually played against each other a few times. Oh, I'm the ruckman at Geelong, Stanley replies, confused as to why Cunnington wouldn't remember him from the 15 or so games that opposed each other. <laughs> oh, so, so you're a footballer. Cunnington scratches his head and frowns. But I could have sworn uh, Radagalia was your ruckman, he says, turning to Dangerfield. Well, yeah, Esava's a better ruckman. Uh, to be honest, I'd chuck Gaz into the ruck before this guy, but, you know, I'm not Chris Scott, says Danger, his eyes rolling. <laughs> Just then, the sound of a large powerboat approaching distracts the men, and they turn around to see the blonde hair of Nick Revolt reflecting the sun as he radically grinds to a halt centimetres from the pier, showering everyone with salt water, so douchebag style from a teen movie. Yeah, sorry, I'm late, chaps. Uh, lisps, Revolt. Does Revolt lisp? I don't know. I've never considered him a lisper. Well, look, this is this is uh, this is Steve's vision. So he says that he lisps. So I'll, I'll give him a lisp. <clears throat> uh, sorry, I'm late, chaps. Lisps Rewalt, his voice booming down at them from the bow of his luxury yacht. Don't splash your new locks you off. Also, you know what I would love what? when you were at the meeting of people who got cancelled for yeah. things they did on a podcast. <laughs> The fact that you got cancelled for doing Nick Rewalt with a lisp is going to really put you down the bottom of the pecking order in that getting cancelled prison. <laughs> Didn't splash you your new locks off, did I, Benny? 
what's uh, uh, what's my gear, Nick? Bloody hell, chides Cunnington, looking over his beloved rods and reels. About time, Rui, laughs Dangerfield. By the way, I have no idea what Patrick Dangerfield sounds like. I've just picked a voice. <laughs> about time, Rui, laughs Dangerfield. Actually, all these voices are completely made up. What am I talking about? <laughs> about time, Rui, laughs Dangerfield, wiping the salt water from his eyes with his sleeve. Working together in the media during a couple of injury-forced layoffs, Danger and Revolt had formed a close friendship bonding over their shared hatred of Reese Stanley. <laughs> Since then, Dangerfield would often call Revolt late at night after the Cats had a loss just to talk about all the fuck-ups Stanley had made. Revolt would often point out more of the fuck-ups that he'd spotted from the telecast box that Danger hadn't seen from ground level. That <laughs> chat long into the early hours and both men found they could sleep soundly once they'd aired their grievances. <laughs> Hey, Reese, nice to see you. It's been too long, says Revolt to Stanley, beaming his huge fake smile complete with his chemically whitened teeth. Oh, uh, thanks, Nick. I, uh, Danger didn't mention you were coming. Oh, yeah, you know, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't miss a chance to get out on the water. My main boat's getting serviced back in Victoria, so I'm afraid this'll have to do. No jacuzzi, but it does have a lap pool. Cunnington speaks up, urgency in his voice. We're going to miss the tide change. When there's a 10-foot... When the, <laughs> That's when the 10-foot fin boys are going to be on the chew. The men pile into the boat and Revolt directs them to a table covered with a vast selection of expensive French cheese, caviar, lobsters and champagne. Revolt pulls Danger aside, motioning towards Cunnington and whispers, What if he says something? Don't worry about it, replies Dangerfield calmly. He's going to be so caught up in the fishing and deep philosophical musings that he won't even notice Reese is gone. <laughs> and if he does, we'll just make up a stupid story. He's a sweet country boy and will believe anything, the big lug. Cunnington asks to use the bathroom and Revolt motions behind them, waving an arm. Uh, first or fourth door on the left. Cunnington, not good at maths, enters the third door on the left and sees a number of canvas and canvases and various art supplies scattered around the room. All the canvases have crudely painted images of what appear to be Nat Fife, many shirtless, many surrounded by love hearts. Cunnington backs out slowly, wide-eyed. When he returns to the group, he asks Revolt about it. Um... Oh, I had bloody uh, uh, Ross Lyon on the boat last week, and that explains why I couldn't find him for a few hours. I'm oh, sorry, that's a joke. It's a Ross Lyon joke. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the boat roars away from the pier, and Dangerfield stands with Revolt at the steering wheel. Cunnington sits surrounded by fishing paraphernalia, furiously preparing. Cunnington calls Stanley over and motions for him to sit. Uh, Reese, was it? He says, an intense look on his face as he continues to rig up fishing rods. Uh, yeah, yeah, replies Reese. I couldn't remember his voice. Yeah, replies Stanley. Uh, uh, as more... Hang on. Oh, yeah. As more and more has been discovered about quantum physics, we become less and less able to comprehend the nature of our reality. This is Ben Cunnington speaking, by the way. Is something temporary and our minds will adapt... Is this, is this something temporary and our minds will adapt to begin to understand new reality? Or is it possible that the human mind will soon reach its limits of comprehension? If it's only temporary, is there a limit to what the human mind can comprehend? If we're reaching our limits, how do we continue to study our reality, Reese? Cunnington stares at him. Stanley, like a deer in headlights, backs away slowly. <clears throat> Oi, Reese, where are you bloody going? Shouts Cunnington, but Stanley doesn't look back. Later, Revolt... Cuts the motor at Cunnington's request. This is the spot the 10-foot fin boys are going to be on, he says, clutching at Revolt's lapels, a crazed look in his eyes. Sorry, that was Cunnington saying that. This is the spot the 10-foot fin boys are going to be on, he says, clutching Revolt's lapels. Okay, go for it, Benny. I'll drop the anchor. Revolt walks to the front of the boat, then beckons to Stanley. 
could you uh, help me with the anchor, Reese? Stanley starts walking along the high, narrow bow towards the front of the boat when Revolt shouts out, Now! And Dangerfield bursts out of the cabin at full speed. He knocks the table over, sending food and drinks flying before unleashing a brutal hip and shoulder on Stanley, sending him over the edge like a ragdoll into the water with an enormous splash. Shit! shouts Cunnington, looking towards Revolt, then Danger. I've bloody well forgotten me, uh, me, my burly? Just like the world has forgotten... Kleisthene, the father of Athenian democracy. Okay, I think the joke here is that Ben Cunnington is a deep thinker and I can't pronounce half these philosophers he's mentioning. Yeah, this is what happens when Ben gets on his boat. He opens up and he he ponders the very nature of existence. Just as the deafening roar of a giant boat, just the just then the deafening roar of a giant boat catches everyone's attention as it rapidly approaches. The smiling face of a shirtless Eddie Maguire in a black and white captain's hat can be seen behind the steering wheel. Ahoy there, gentlemen! Lovely day for it. Get a load of my boat. Not bad for a boy from Broadie, eh? Oh, nice dinghy, Rui! He shouts theatrically, laughing. And with that, he drives straight over Stanley. The powerful propellers shredding his body into a million pieces. That'll do the trick, says Cunnington, lowering his line into the water happily. My other boat's getting serviced, shouts Revolt, his voice cracking, but Maguire is already a speck in the distance. The silver outlines of a huge school of ten-foot fin boys begin appearing in the bloody water below a beaming Cunnington as Danger puts his arm around Revolt's shoulders. Don't worry, Rui. I'm sure your other boat is huge, mate, he says, and Revolt smiles and begins to laugh. Danger joins in, and before long the laughter turns to tears, Sweet tears of joy as the two embrace, gazing off into the sparkling horizon. I mean, I feel like it was worth continuing with the AFL season for this. (laughs) (laughs) Even if this season gets cancelled now due to COVID breaking out, I feel like it was worth it. Uh, thank you very much, Steve. That was epic. If you'd like to send your own fan fiction, you can to two guys one cup AFL uh, at gmail.com or go to our website, tofop.com, and use a drop down menu. This is from James, just a short one, Will. Dynamic, high energy forward, blonde primary school haircut, a little bit annoying. Is Dan Butler a little bit French? Dan Butler. No, I think it'd be like Dan Concierge. <laughs> I am Daniel Concierge. I am Dan Butler's alter ego, Daniel Daniel Concierge. <laughs> I am the medium-sized Frenchman. <laughs> Mid-sized forward Frenchman. Now, who's taller out of... Uh, oh, this is why we need podcast Mike. Can you Google who's taller, Dan Butler or, or, or Mark Lacroix? We'll find out who truly is the littlest Frenchman. Um, tell me what you think while I'm Googling. Well, I mean, he's the little Frenchman. If it's not Mark Lacroix, I'll be furious. Okay. So uh, Dan Butler is 182 centimetres. Okay. Now I'm going to look up Mark Lacroix and see what So is that height. 182? Yep. That's our, Dan Butler's that's our marker. Centimetres. Okay. Okay. I have the answer. What yep. do you want to lock in? Is Mark Lacroix... Or is Dan Butler the taller of the two? I'll say Dan Butler is the taller one, and that's my final answer. Oh, shit. They are exactly the same height, 182 centimetres. Well, well, okay, that's fine. Then he can still... If it turns out that Dan Butler is actually Dan Concierge, then... Danielle Concierge. Danielle Concierge. (laughs) (laughs) Then, uh, Then... 
Then Mark LeCarkin said little Frenchman because he's he's technically he's you know equal littlest. They're yeah, both I am also Frenchmen. the little Frenchman. As long as Caleb <laughs> Daniel doesn't decide he's French, they're fine. <laughs> this is from Ed. Hello, Charlie and Will. Thanks for all the different pods you do. Thanks also for the Port Adelaide talk in this episode. I think that was a couple of episodes ago now. Hasn't been much acknowledgement that despite being on top of the ladder for the entire season so far. For your information, it wasn't Chad Corns who dated an actress, but Stewie Dew, who was batting way above his average with Teresa Palmer for a few years uh, and marrying Sarah Cumming from Channel 7. Uh, no, no, Chad did date because he, as an actress I worked with on McLeod's Daughters, they, they were definitely dating. And yes, Drew Dew definitely did date Teresa Palmer. I believe that's why he quit football at one stage. Remember, Drew Dew had that little hiatus before he came back and won the Norm Smith or, or almost won the Norm Smith. That's what he said, but his smorgasbord had just got to a... No, I'm we're not going to do jokes it. anymore. <laughs> no. Um, I did not know that he married Sarah Cumming, though, from Channel 7. Is she, is she, I didn't know that was she a, a newsreader, a reporter? Yeah, she was a Channel 7 newsreader out of Adelaide who did some stuff on Sunrise and a bit of national stuff Oh, Sarah Cumming, well. the dark, she, dark hair. No. No, she's got sort of, uh, well, blondish brown right. hair. She's really very attractive woman. Okay. Well, well done, Stewie Dew. <laughs> uh, regarding Kumpf, the Cunnington Fife saga, I wonder if you aimed a little too high with Tom Hardy in the Ben Cunnington role. Kudos for the ambition, but I think the pair of Tom Hardy with Owen Wilson is a little uneven. My casting's getting critiqued. I give you Leave Schreiber. Oh, yeah. My wife and, I'm interested. My wife and I enjoyed him in Ray Donovan until it was recently cancelled, and I would often refer to him as Ray Cunnington, much to my wife's confusion. <laughs> that would be very confusing. She'd be like, "It's the show's called Ray Donovan. That's the name of the show. How can you get that wrong? It's on the title card every He's time we're going to Netflix. A- he could definitely play Ben Cunnington's dad. He's too old to play Ben Cunnington. Yeah, but Ben Cunnington but looks he like... He could definitely play Ben Cunnington's dad. But don't you think Ben Cunnington looks like in his mid-50s anyway? Yeah, but Liev Schreiber, Schreiber, Liev Schreiber uh, looks like he's... I mean, he's probably 50 and he looks like he's 90. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Additionally, I wonder if you've overlooked one of your favourite TOEFOP tropes uh, with your casting of Tim English, someone whom Will shared a building with in Los Angeles. Thanks again. Uh, Dolph Lundgren yeah I don't think they look no I mean Dolph Lundgren is completely different Tim English looks more like a dandy like an English dandy he's not uh, Dolph Lundgren was like cut from granite he was a monster yeah I mean Tim English has that gangliness that thinks you should be seeing him at the Edinburgh Comedy Festival as some sort of footlights yeah Steve Merchant could play Tim English (laughs) yeah Stephen Merchant is a perfect Tim English (laughs) Uh, okay, time for a pocket profile pocket. Um, someone sent this in. Oh, I sent it to me. Oh, no, someone emailed me on Twitter and then I emailed it to our Two Guys One Cup account. Okay, here we go. Uh, this is Michael Rishkatelli. Oh, actually, before we get to that, someone uh, followed up on our uh, um, Braden Proust uh, pocket profile pocket saying that... Um, that celeb that he said, you know, the famous person you'd want to meet, and we thought it was Johnny Sims. It was actually Johnny Sins who was a porn star. He was he was being Baden Proust comedian in that moment. Now, do Melbourne know that when they publish that on their website as part of the pocket profile? Because I feel like that's too risque for a pocket profile. Well, they obviously didn't know that because they didn't write Johnny Sin. It was Johnny Sim. Unless I misread it. 
I just read it as being Johnny. So somebody's gone, oh, we can't put Johnny Sin because he's a porn star. So what we're going to do is we're just going to change the N to an M (laughs) and that'll be fine. We'll just leave the answer the same. We won't ask him for another answer. We'll just change one of the letters. Um, Okay, so uh, pocket profile pocket. Michael Riscatelli. Nickname. Uh, The business. How'd you get that? Take me through your logic. Uh, Riscatelli. Risky. Risky business. The business. Uh, Risha. (laughs) (laughs) Yours is better. Riscatelli. Teletubbies. Children's TV. Rolf. Rolf Harris. (laughs) Rolf Harris is your new nickname. Jake the Pig. Michael Jake the Pig. Riscatelli. Okay. What star sign is he? Uh, Oh, I don't know if we normally go for star signs. I feel this is is a different pocket profile pocket. It's been sourced from another publication. I don't think it's from the footy record or anything. Okay. So um, I'm going to say that Michael Riscatelli is a Taurus. Capricorn. I don't even know. When is a Capricorn? Okay. I think I got confused because he plays for the Lions, doesn't he? <laughs> Leo. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, whose number did you wear as a kid? Uh, and he wore a Brisbane Lions uh, player's number. Fitzroy and... He wore jo- Jonathan Brown. Fitzroy oh, no. and Brisbane um, Lions. Oh. Um, he wore... Superstar. Um, part of that. Part of... Superstar part from of Fitzroy and Brisbane. the Lions. Yeah. Was only young when he's at Fitzroy. Um, and then... Went out with a bang. Uh, no, don't know. Current who. commentator. Special comments um, on the ground. First name, Alistair. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Last name runs with Finch. I always forget that Alistair Lynch played for Fitzroy. Fitzroy. It just it feels like he's he wasn't of that era. He always feels to me yeah. like a player who only played in Brisbane. But yes, I course. think he's a superstar. I think he's one of those kind of... He was like a Ben yeah. King style. His first two years at Fitzroy, he was taking big grabs and shit. That's my memory anyway. Yeah, no, no. I, re- I remember now that you say it, but yeah, it, in my head, when I see him on the sidelines, I never think of the idea that he played for Fitzroy. Uh, biggest impact on your junior career? Um, his dad. Yeah. Teammate most likely to succeed post-football. And this must have been when he was... Because he's at the Suns now, isn't he? Uh, yes, I believe yeah, so. Yeah, so this must have been yes. while he was still at... The, at the Lions, this quiz. Because this player uh, okay. is definitely a Lions player. So it's a Lions player, a current day Lions yep. player? Yes. Uh, oh, Still? Maybe. No, I think recently retired. Not one of their superstars. Like, he's not he's not like a Lappin or an Ackermanis or anything, but of that late, that second wave era. Um, and I'm guessing Luke Hodge doesn't count. So No, but he shares a name. He shares, he shares oh, a name. Yeah, okay. So Luke. With, yeah. Someone. <laughs> uh, when Homer Simpson changed his name, he changed it to uh, Luke Power. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, I can see Luke Power being a, a coach. Uh, toughest opponent. Uh, current day player. Still playing. Current day player. Um, uh, has played for two clubs. Although it could be... Gary ag- Ablett. Yes. <laughs> oh, good. I didn't have any more clues. How did you know that? Because he's the best player who's played for two clubs. Yeah. Yeah, basically. that was. Yeah. I was like, well, he's kind of the best player who's played in that era that Michael Scatelli has been playing. Yeah. And also 
you know, he's played for two clubs. So, yes. And then you were about to say, although technically he's kind of, and that you were going to say he's played for Geelong twice. Yeah. So it fit all the criteria of the clues. <laughs> Would you consider coaching? Yes. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> describe yourself in one word. Um, there is... Um, uh, uh, is it a physical yeah, characteristic? There is, there is a component of uh, there is a component to it. It's a very it's considered a very Australian uh, and it's very Australian characteristic. Spot on. I thought you were going to say laconic, but you laid went, back. How did you know that you you and Michael Riscatelli are born to be together? <laughs> you, yeah, you guys are you're a perfect <laughs> match. Dexter says this, you're a perfect match. <laughs> Or maybe not, because the next question is what makes you laugh. Uh, yeah, Carl Barrett, Dave Hughes. You're fucking but, right. Um, that's, that's exactly right. Oh, is it one of those? Are you reading this? No, what What was it? Carl Barron. Fuck. Are you serious? That was <laughs> yes. my joke answer. <laughs> no, I thought that. thought you must be able to see my laptop. Was, I'm not doing share screen, am I? How could you? Wow. You've just got four in a row, well, apart from the coaching, but you've got four in a row. <sighs> How did you know Carl Barron? I don't know. It was just the way you said you won't be happy with this. So I said, it's probably going to be another comedian. And the first one that came to my mind was Carl Barron because Carl Barron is your Shawshank redemption of sports people. Like if yeah. you are going to see a comedian's name mentioned, it's most likely going to be Carl Barron, which absolutely nothing um, wrong with that because much like the Shawshank redemption, which is also an excellent film, Carl Barron is an excellent, excellent comedian. Um, who do you think is Ben Cunnington's favourite comedian? Do you think he has one or does he find it all a bit silly? Yeah, Cole Elliott. Cole <laughs> <laughs> The Sheik of Shrubby Creek. <laughs> Off and out on the... He loves he'll it. put in the big teeth yeah. at Cunnington Family Christmas and he'll pretend he's... Get him out on the boat. He'll do... <laughs> All of Cole Elliott's material. He'll fucking he'll put Get on the beanie the and the sunglasses. And if you're lucky, if he catches a big ten footer, then he'll get out the team. Um, most valued possession, and this is interesting. This is not what you'd expect. Um, it's generic, like it's a it's a generic thing, um, but it is quite um, cultured, I guess you'd say. Um, my library. My sculpture from overseas. Oh, okay. But the way he describes it isn't very cultured. (laughs) A sculpture from overseas is cultured, but I mean, normally you'd say like, I have a, uh, you know, you name the artist or something like that. But sculpture from overseas is a bit like carbs. (laughs) It's a bit like you've broken it down to too basic a level. Yeah, I like bloody sculpture, mate. That sculpture. That I got from overseas, mate. It's not some <laughs> local fucking sculpture, mate. Yeah. This it's is probably a sculpture from overseas. It's probably a penis ashtray he got from the airport at Bali. <laughs> it's my bong I got in Amsterdam. The most famous person you've ever met. Sports person? Hmm? Is it a sports person? Athlete. Australian athlete. And, I, and, I'm, su- and I'm surprised because I imagine that he played with more famous athletes. And this guy is famous, don't get me wrong, and he's probably and you know he's he's been a he's been a champion in his sport, but I would have thought that th- then he's not as famous as most of the guys he's been on the field with. Oh, okay. Um 
High jumper Jai Tarima. No, no, no. He's famous. Like, if you think, <laughs> if I named a sport, you'd get him. Uh, name the sport. So think of like uh, 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 yeah, uh, boxing. Is he a golfer, a boxer. Uh, Jeff Horn. <laughs> Cole Elliott, Jeff Horn. Why are your references so outdated? Danny Green, Mean Machine. No, Jeff Horn's modern. Is he? He won a world title. Yeah. Who am I thinking of? Lester Ellis. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm thinking of. I really was. Sorry. Apologize. I thought Jeff Horn was Lester Ellis. Well, they sound very similar, so don't worry about it. Your first car. Bloody Aussie. Aussie classic, mate. Uh, Holden Commodore. Fuck yes. You are you are nailing this. This is probably the best either of us has ever done at a pocket. Uh, well, actually, I always read them, don't I? It's the best you've ever done in a pocket profile pocket. Uh, first job? It's a job you have in a bar. Uh, he was a... He picked up glasses. He was a busboy. You and Michael Riscatelli are going to get married. You're going to start a business together because you're so in sync. You're going to start a wellness group. People are going to come to hang out with you and Michael Riscatelli to understand how to properly bond with another human. You know each other so well. You've never met, but it's like you are the same person. And then after the session, he can collect the glasses because he has experience. <laughs> yeah. What was the scariest moment in your life? Oh, the birth of my first um, child. No, no. It's a, uh, I mean, it's a, it involved a driving, but it, I don't think you'll get it. No. He was driving on the highway and... Uh, Police wanted to put the, there was a sinkhole, <laughs> a hell mouth opened up on the Brisbane Highway. Uh, no, his car shut off. I assume he just lost power. Uh, okay. Other interests? It's a business interest. Uh, business? Did you say? Yeah, yeah. I mean, considered business, but you know, people dabble in it as a little side thing. Uh, cryptocurrency, real estate. Okay. Would you spend? What would you spend your last hundred dollars on? Uh, rent. No. Um, See how well you know him. Uh, hundred bucks. Come on, Will. You've been so good. Last hundred bucks. Remember, this is a man who likes sculptures from overseas. Um, we can't travel. If you before you laid down money at an auction, you know, like to buy that sculpture, you go to a charity auction, you buy that sculpture from overseas. What are you doing before that? You're enjoying some wine, a good bottle of wine, a good good dining. Oh, dining. okay, That's dinner. It's not that good bucks. dining for a hundred yeah. bucks. I mean, maybe if it's just you, <laughs> if it's just a meal for you for a yeah. hundred bucks. Otherwise, you're just saying I'll have a reasonable meal, thank you, with one other person. <laughs> <laughs> the four people you would invite over for dinner. Okay, I love this. Um, great. Okay, this is great. Now, one of these guys is always mentioned. Uh, an athlete, LeBron so James. One of, the, one of the guys is always it, what? LeBron James. No, no, no. Oh. Think no, but the prototypical LeBron. Okay, uh, Michael Jordan. You, Michael Jordan. He's always mentioned. Um, a comedian, Carl Barron. Fucking Carl Barron. Can't get enough. I've gonna pay to see him tell jokes and such for an hour, and then we're, he's coming around to have dinner with me, and Michael Jordan. And Michael I, Jordan would probably be like, you're my favorite comedian too, Carl Barron, favorite of everybody. Fuck you for being so good. Uh, an American comedian actor famous for a trilogy with Will Smith. Martin Lawrence. Martin Lawrence. That's a weird choice. Especially as he wanted to come around his big mama. <laughs> oh, 
That's no, a real weird choice. Like <laughs> Martin Lawrence. Martin Lawrence. Wouldn't have picked it, right? What are Martin Lawrence and Carl Barron going to talk about? Well, you've got Michael Jordan, who's the best in his field. You've got Carl Barron, who's the best in his field. And then you've got a guy who wasn't even the best in his own movie. <laughs> uh, and the last one is a sexy pop star. Um, Katie. And, fr- and, and, and think about like 10 years ago. This must this must be from taken from like the the mid two thousands I reckon. This Kesha. <laughs> no, from a group, a troop, a troop of sexy gals. Nicole Schlesinger from the Pussycat Dolls. Nicole Schlesinger from Pussycat Doll. That is correct. Ah, we're almost to the end. Favorite meal before the night of a game, and he gives two things he likes oh, to eat: fish and chips. No, um, pasta. And from the same from the same culinary region and uh, bolognese cheese pasta pizza. and cheese pizza pizza okay, yeah. pizza favorite band slash musician uh, this is a very safe generic band Foo Fighters um, that in the mid two no 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 uh, yeah even more safe and generic mid two thousands um, probably where the tide started to turn on them when people started to go a bit off. But they'd been around for you ages too. before that. Yeah, you go. Favorite movie. <laughs> uh, loves a laugh. Loves a laugh. Especially in uh, mid nineties, uh, one actor dominated dominated the nineties comedy, uh, and this was his breakout movie, Beverly Hills Cop. No, no, oh, 90s. um, dominated the nineties. Adam uh, Adam Sandler. Um, uh, come on he was like he was huge I think he got like 20 million dollars a movie at one stage uh, Jim Carrey um, yes and the, the film was um, oh, Ace Ventura Pet Detective Ace Ventura When Nature Calls oh, so the, the sequel, sequel. <laughs> <laughs> like not even the good one well maybe he's like you know the first one's actually really transphobic I'm very in touch yeah, right. with modern issues and the final scene is extremely transphobic. I like the sequel. You've still got Jim <laughs> Carrey without the transphobia. Uh, and his favourite TV show is the last question. Um, it is a show with a problematic host uh, that is inexplicably popular and has been franchised all over the world. Um, top Gear. There you go. So I don't know if you and Michael Riscatelli belong together or if you and I belong together. Maybe it's the clues I'm feeding you. I know how to sell you a clue to give you the answer. I think your clues were particularly good tonight. I thought you were in excellent clue form. I feel like this is the best clues you've given in the time that we've been doing the Pocket Profile Pocket. Um, should we hit a casino where like, we'll just, I'll just try and kind of like give you little tells and stuff so you can, we can win at blackjack or something? Let's build up to it. Okay. I'm not. Let's just not go straight to that. I feel like we've got to build up to it a little bit more, but we're getting in sync. Um, is it worth giving tips? Like half the round's over and there's no. a bye. Yeah, okay. We didn't give tips last week and nobody missed them. Yeah, let's not do tips um, while, during the Festival of Football because what's the point? And you have to go because you've got your more serious, successful podcast philosophy to record next, which can also be found at tofop.com. So when you're done listening to this, why don't you go head over to tofop.com and check out some of our other great podcasts. There's lots of free stuff there as well. We've got some comic strips up there that are based on our podcasts. Lots of stuff to read. Uh, sign up to our mailing list to get uh, informed of when we're doing special shows and when new podcasts come out and all bonus information. That's all there on the website as well. Uh, you got anything else you need to plug? No, that sounds good to me. Play on, not 15. 
בואו.